All right, so uh, Gary took us through Romans 14, the uh, first 12 verses last week. Um, so I want to throw up, I think we've got like the first two maybe on a slide, just to give you like a quick little recap. So, um, so Paul says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person uh, only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. So here's our here's the context of what's going on. So uh, Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, and Gentiles just means non-Jews. They make up this church, right? And some people have the conviction that um, that, that there are certain meats that, that they should not eat. It's sinful them, for them to eat. And it's based on Levitical food laws like way back in the day in the Old Testament. Um, and, and there are reasons that, that God gave those two. Um, one reason is uh, the, the unclean list existed um, as a reminder that man, God is totally holy, right? Like totally beyond us and to come into his presence like man even just the food that we eat is unclean like we need to be made clean um in order to come before this god um so so this is a reminder that has been drilled into the jewish people for generations right like this they know what's on the list of, of what of what you can't eat um so we got these gentile christians and probably some jews as well that knew the the clean and unclean food list that didn't matter anymore. And, and, and to us, this is like such a weird thing. Like, why would that matter? Um, but again, God, God had drilled this, this in, into them. And, and there, was, there was good there knowing like, man, I stand before God and I, I'm not clean. And, and even just the food I eat, like uh, it impacted that. So to sum up verses 1 through 12, um, Paul says, hey, some of you guys believe this. Some of you guys believe this about food. Don't judge each other. Like, get over it. Like, you've you've got different convictions, and this isn't like a gospel essential thing, right? This is a this is a gray area. So don't judge each other. And then we we jump into uh, verse thirteen of chapter fourteen. We're going to go through the end of uh, end of chapter fourteen here. It says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Right? It connects verses one through twelve there, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. So not only are we not supposed to judge on, on these issues that, that don't pertain to like being saved, right? These, these gray areas. Um, but we also need to make really intentional decisions um, to not impede our brother and sister in Christ and them following Jesus. We need to make sure that we don't put in their way things that would make them stumble, things that, um, that, that would harm them. Um, so Paul says in, in verse 14, he says, I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. He's talking about food, right? He's saying, I know in God, I know in my relationship with Jesus and everything that Jesus said, all that I know of him, I'm convinced that, that there is no unclean food, right? This is his conviction before the Lord. But then he says, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks that it's unclean. So, so someone else might have this conviction, and they, they, for them, it is not right to eat that food. But Paul's persuaded otherwise. And I want to just stop there just as a side note. Um, Paul says he's, he's persuaded, he's convinced based on knowing Jesus of this, this conviction, right? And, and that comes from 
uh, or at least one place it comes from. Mark 7, um, Jesus is talking in, uh, in verses 15 through 19. And he says, man, it's not what goes into you that, that defiles you, right? And then in, in Mark 7, 19, Mark says that Jesus right there declares that, that all foods are clean. Like it, it, that is gone now. And why? Well, well, Jesus, he wasn't saying that you, you're, you're fine now before a holy God, like you're, you're clean. He's saying, no, I'm, I'm the fulfillment of what all those things are pointing towards. I'm the one that can make you clean before a holy God. Um, so, so that's why that's why Paul can say that, because um, he's he's persuaded he he knows Jesus. His conviction is based out of that. And this is such a sub point of what we're talking about today. But I ask you, are your convictions based in knowing Jesus, right? Um, or 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 are convictions or non convictions? Do they come from from other things? In 1 Corinthians 8, we're not going to flip there, but there's another food issue, but it's in the reverse, right? There's um, meat sacrificed to idols. So the, the people that came out of that, the Gentiles, um, they, they won't eat that meat, right? And, and, and uh, the Jews, though, they get like, man, that idol is nothing. That's no God. That's like a little tiki mask that someone carved up. Like, I'm going to eat that meat. That's no problem. So, so we have a food issue, like totally flip-flopped, where most of the Jewish people get it, and the, the, the former pagans, the, the Gentiles, they don't get it. But both here, we see, are totally impacted by their culture, right? And I wonder, how much does our culture impact our convictions? Um, man, I wonder... Um, what we decide to entertain ourselves with. Like, are we okay with the things we watch, whether it's a movie or TV or whatever, because, well, our culture's way over here. Like, at least I'm not watching whatever, HBO, I don't know, fill in the blank for whatever's horrible for you. Um, or do we let Jesus be the one that defines, like, man, this is, this is what's good for you. Uh, the way we dress, the way we live out our daily lives, like all these things, like we need to bring it before the Lord and, and, and ask, like, man, God, what, what is good here? I want you, I want you to convict me. I want you to show me what is right. Not, not because I was raised this way, not because my culture says this or whatever. I, I want you to do it. And I, I think about um, alcohol. Um, so growing up, I grew up in a, in a pretty conservative church. I think a lot of conservative churches this way, uh, or, or like like my church, like alcohol was totally taboo. There was you could not drink. Um, I remember the first time I saw alcohol. Um, like my parents never drank at all, and I saw I spent the night at my buddy's house, Jared Morris, and I don't know if I should have said that, but oh well. Um, <laughs> Because of what I'm about to say. Uh, and I open the fridge like I've done it a ton of times, and I see like a Budweiser, and I'm like, whoa! And not a good whoa, right? I'm not stoked. I'm like, what has happened to my friend? Like his parents. And, and anyway, there was this, there was, it, within the church, it was like, man, alcohol is a sin, right? And, and then fast forward, I don't know when it happened, but at least in the Pacific Northwest, like alcohol has become way okay in church. Not in church, but you know what I'm saying. Um, like, like the, the pendulum has swung so far the other way. And, and, and some of that swing, I think, is good. And I think some of it is, like, based on Bible. But I also think that, that some of it's gone, gone too far. And I, and I just look at how Christians use alcohol 
And I just wonder, like, man, is this based in what God has told you through his word, right? Because it does say don't get drunk, right? And, and if you read, man, go look up. This is interesting. Look up the word drunk in Revelation, right? The book of Revelation is used a few times. And see if you want to be described that way. <laughs> like, it's not good. So, um Anyway, so I just wonder, oh, another thing. At some point, like, well, I think it was like the late 90s, early 2000s, in some Christian circles, like, swearing became cool, right? Um, and, and you might be like, what are you talking about? That's not cool. Um, there, there was a book that came out uh, about, I think it was 2003, and uh, it, it was written locally but kind of went national in the Christian scene. And, uh, and, and there was, there was a, a character, not a character, a person in the book, um, he was referred to as the cussing pastor, as if like this was cool that this pastor swore because he was hip now or, or whatever. And um, and I was in Bible college when this was going on, and so Bible college has weird things with people. Like you get all these intellectual debates about stuff, and um, people are thinking wacky things. Um, and uh, man, I, I heard uh, John Piper was at a conference in Seattle. I think it was about 2005, and there was a Q&A session. He was asked all kinds of things, but he was asked one, one person said, hey, what do you think about like, Christians taking liberty with swearing? And, uh, and Piper, I love this, he said, you know what? I think we're going to be embarrassed by a lot of things when we stand before Jesus. And I, I've never forgot. I didn't, I didn't see him say that. My friend told me about it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, I mean, we're all going to be that way. What, swearing, fill in the blank. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, Second grade, I, uh, I had a kind of a rival in my neighborhood. We weren't enemies, but we were rivals. Colin, right? Colin lived across the street. I don't know how we had this competition, but we were rivals. My buddy Philip Conklin and I um, were kind of getting into it um, with, with Colin one day, and the result was a rock fight, right? And that it literally was just rocks. We're throwing rocks at each other, right? And we were throwing it in front of my neighbor's house. Colin was like hiding behind the staircase. And Philip Conklin and I are chucking rocks. And Colin's chucking, and they're small rocks. It's not like we were throwing huge rocks, but still dumb, obviously. Um, we're throwing these rocks. And then eventually Colin like gets up on the staircase and he uses like the, my neighbor's screen door. But the screen door had a glass part of it, right? You, I don't know why I said glass. It's called a window, right? And, um, and I'm still throwing rocks in this rock fight. I break the window, right? I don't remember what my dad said to me. I do remember the punishment, but I don't remember what he said. So I'll put my, myself in my dad's place, and I'll talk to second grade me. And I'm pretty sure I would say something like, so Greg, you thought having a rock fight was a good idea. And I just let that sit there. And then I would ask, and when did you think it was smart to throw a rock when you saw that he was hiding behind a window? Um, there's no argument for that, obviously, right? And there, there's, uh, there's things that, that we will be. We're going to stand before Jesus and like, man, I don't know what I was thinking, Lord. Um, so let, let's be, let's have our convictions based, based in Jesus, right? Based on our relationship with Christ, based in Scripture. Okay, that was all a side note. Verse 14. Um, so 
uh, verse 14, so he says, uh, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus, nothing, no food is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who, who thinks it unclean. And, and we'll get to more of that in verse 23, that when we go against our conscience, like, man, it, then it's, it's sin for us to go against um, that. Verse, uh, verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, so a fellow Christian sees you eating this food that they're convicted not to eat, and it, it troubles them. It confuses them. Maybe it saddens them. Here's this person that they, they, they respected you, right? They respected this more mature brother or sister in the faith. Um, they respected your relationship with Christ, and it impacts them so much that it erodes their faith. Um, it may be even... Uh, Maybe even they, even though they have this conviction not to eat this food, they, they do it um, just like you for, for whatever reason. So now they're sinning by eating this food because they saw you do it. Um, boy, our, our actions, they can have great impact, right? Our actions do have an impact, and it can be detrimental um, on another believer's life. We, we can grieve them, um, and, and grieve is like is such a heavy word, and it's going to give him a heavier. He, he's about to say destroy, but um, when we when we compare grief with with eating food, that, that just seems so silly. Of course, the loving thing for me to do would, would be to not eat that food. Um, and younger younger people are so often impacted by older people, right? And and I think part of that is just God's design. But we see that in the church, the older, or to serve the younger, to disciple, to, to help them grow up in their faith. So there's a funny thing going on in our household right now. We have a, we have a three-year-old named Hudson. Uh, Reagan's eight years old in the middle. And then Caden's our 10-year-old, right? And everything that Caden does, Hudson wants to do. Hudson wears shorts every day because Caden wears shorts every day, right? Um, Hudson... Uh, he says, I'm going to be as tall as Caden. I'm going to play basketball like Caden. Like the list goes on and on. If Caden says he does not like something, Hudson no longer likes that, which is a bummer because Huddy loved yogurt a week ago, right? And we bought him yogurt. Now, not like a little one, like a big yogurt. And then Caden one day, not mean anything, he just said, yeah, I don't like yogurt. Hudson, I don't like yogurt. He hasn't touched his yogurt. So if anyone needs yogurt, like we can hook you up. Um, Man, uh, we we needed to get shoes for Hudson. This is just just yesterday. We needed to get shoes for Hudson, and and there's this pair that's like great for him. We've had this exact shoe before. It was awesome. We just needed a bigger size, and uh, and Caden, he's like behind Hudson. Hudson doesn't see him. And I see Caden picking up like a, a, a Nike shoe that that is Hudson size, right? And and Caden starts. I can see it. He's like, this shoe is awesome, and he's about to say that, and I just go, Caden. Right, like, man, not only is that shoe probably way more expensive, like, this shoe is good. Do not influence him in that way. But man, like, it, it, it's a, it's funny with that. But man, we have this impact, and, and God's even made it that way. First Corinthians eleven one, Paul says, "Follow my example." I don't think this is up there. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Right. So Paul's saying, "You would do well." to follow me as I follow Jesus. Like, this is part of how God has designed the body. But man, it can go bad too, right? Verse 15 continues, says, you, you're no longer walking in love when, when you do that. Um, 
by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So, so this word in the Greek, it, it, it could just destroy, it could mean anywhere from like destruction of like your faith, like so leading this person to hell. It could be that bad. It, it's used a lot of times that powerfully. It could be less than that, but still really bad, like ruining or, or spoiling their relationship with Jesus. So the picture here is is a is a faith that at least in in a particular area is fragile. Maybe maybe as a whole. I heard a story um, about a uh, a guy in California. He came to know Christ. He was a former gang member. Um, he he was all in to 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 Jesus and, and to life of the church um, for months. Right, months and months and months, and then one day he just stopped coming around, and and the pastor contacted him, and and uh, and he said, hey, what's going on? We haven't seen you in a while. Like people have been trying to call you, we haven't been able to get a hold of you. Is everything okay? And and he said, you know what? I was a part of a gang for I don't know how many years, but X number of years, and uh, we did a lot of bad stuff, horrible, horrible things. You know a lot of the things that I've done, but man, in the gang, we were family. People had my back, and I thought church was going to be that way. I thought the church was going to have my back, and they kind of did on Sundays or at Bible study, but they didn't have my back all the time. And this guy's faith, like he was a young Christian, and he he left, to the best of my knowledge, like left the faith because because of how the body lived out. And, and man, we need to know each other. We need to know where where our people have come from, right? Individually, collectively, like we need to understand so that we can love each other really well. I don't want to be the reason that a person is destroyed. And I I definitely don't want it to be over something as trivial as food. Tim Keller said, don't destroy him. Don't destroy the person that you believe was purchased by Christ. Instead, prove that he's been died for by Jesus. Live out the sacrifice for him by sacrificing the freedom that you have. Let's go verse 16. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Don't let this, this, this thing that before the Lord is good become this evil thing because you're just thinking about yourself and what you want and what you desire. Like we need to think, we need to think big picture. Verse 17, he says, For the kingdom of God, right? This is this is our this is what we need to be thinking of. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And, and that's helpful when, when Paul says, and the, the kingdom life is way up here, right? And, and eating and drinking, it's somewhere way down here. Like it does not compare to, to this kingdom life. The kingdom life is, is of righteousness and peace and joy. It's so far beyond um, this, this eating and drinking thing. And we're going we're gonna to come back. We're going to end on verses 17 through 19. But for now, we're going to skip ahead um, to 20 and 21. So he goes on. He says, do not, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. Like every food he's saying, it's clean. But it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble. So even though you have this freedom, if you go out and you, you use that freedom and it, and, it, and it makes your brother stumble, man, now it's become wrong. That's wrong for you. Um, we, we need to be aware. We need to be mindful. Um, and, and maybe at this point, someone's thinking, hold on. I have this liberty in Jesus, right? I have, like, I have this, this right. I have this freedom. In Christ, yeah, yes, you do. You have that freedom, and, and you have that freedom 
because there was a great sacrifice made for you in, in Jesus. And now what you get to do is make a tiny sacrifice so that your brother continues, your sister continues to know and love Jesus. Um, verse 22, he says, The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. So he's saying, yeah, you got this faith, and that's good. Do not flaunt that before your brother or sister, right? Don't, don't just wave that around. Like, oh, man, before the Lord, I know I can do such and such. Like, keep that private between you and the Lord. So um, this is my Bible. Um, I love it. Um, I, uh, I think I treat it really, really well. Um, so I, uh, I got sick of like going through Bibles like every four or five years, right? And that makes it sound like it's because I open it so much and read it. And hopefully that's part of it, but that's not the full reason. I use it every day, right? So it travels with me in my backpack and it jumbles around and all this. And so like normal Bibles, like with paper, um, they would just wear out and it stunk because I had written my notes and highlighted and now I like I can't I can't use this as my daily daily Bible anymore. So this Bible is waterproof, which is really cool. Um I've never used it in that sense. Like I don't I don't walk around in the rain and read my Bible or anything. Um but I but I thought like okay this will be way more durable for me, right? Than like normal Bibles. Um so so I got it and I'm like this is awesome. But then I thought, you know what? It's still gonna be in my backpack. Like it's still gonna get just around a page something something could happen. So I got my friend who's a pattern maker, right? He makes patterns for like a steel foundry. I'm like, hey, could you make me a wooden case for my Bible? And it's awesome. Like this case is so stinking cool. I know in the end, new heavens and new earth, like everything is going to burn. I wouldn't be surprised if my Bible case doesn't burn because it's, <laughs> it's that good. So I have a very, I love my Bible, right? I also have no problem setting my Bible on the ground. I, I, standing before God, and this sounds really silly at first, but there's story coming. Um, standing before God, I don't feel like there's anything wrong with me doing that. Now, from what I understand of Muslims, um, they would never put the, the Quran on the ground, right? They, it's, and for a Christian to put a Bible on the ground, it's like, what is wrong with you, right? So let's pretend that, um, you know, if we had if we had a Muslim kid start coming to youth group. Right or, or 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 a kid that I found out like he, man he's he's following Christ now he was a Muslim I would never put my Bible on the ground in front of that kid and, and in fact I I would instruct like our staff like hey we're not doing that anymore like right now on Wednesdays we put a Bible under each chair we would stop doing it that way right we, we would find another way because I I would not want this kid to be so confused or kid or adult it doesn't matter I wouldn't want this person to see this thing that, that does not matter completely distract them from their faith, right? That would make no sense at all. Um, verse 23 says, um, But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin, right? So, like, man, our heart before God, it's, an, it's a really important thing. Like he wants us to come to him and, and let him tell us, um, tell us where to go and what to do and what is good and, and what isn't good. So let's go back now to uh, 14, 17. He says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So um, this is the only time that Paul uses the word kingdom in the book of Romans. Paul doesn't use the word much 
in, in all of his writings, but he does he uses it enough um, that, that we know what he means when he says it. So I want to just clarify a few things. Um, so kingdom. Kingdom is, is God's rule or his reign. It's not a realm. It's not a place, right? So if you were to to say, where, where do Greg and Lindsay live? You, you could, I, I could take you to my house, right? And, and, and you could see like, okay, this is his house. Oh, Greg, where's your boundary line? I could point out, it's right there, right? Like we've got a, a stake up there and there's this other thing there. And I'm told like that, that is our realm, even though the bank actually owns it and we're paying them. Um, but, but God's kingdom is not that way. Like we, we get so stuck thinking in like a place, like God's kingdom is, is his rule and, and his reign, and it's, it's connected to the Holy Spirit, like the work that the, that the Holy Spirit's doing. So, so where the Spirit is moving and working, like the kingdom is expressed. So the, the second thing is connected to that. So God's, God's kingdom is, is God's saving and redeeming reign, right? So it's not all of his reign. Like God, uh, God reigns over all things by his providence, um, but all things are not in the kingdom of God. So example, uh, God reigns over the devil, but, but the devil is not in God's kingdom. Um, so when we say the reign of God's kingdom, we have to be specific. So it's, it's the specific exercise of his rule and reign in overcoming evil, establishing righteousness, and, and eventually it will fill the whole earth. So, so where we see the Holy Spirit moving in, in righteousness and peace and joy, we see God's saving, redeeming reign, right? And, and there, there's evidence of the kingdom there. There's evidence of the kingdom there. Like God, God saves this person. He saves this marriage. We see like there's reconciliation. There's forgiveness. There's grace. Like We see evidence of God's spirit at work and, and his kingdom. Um, and I think of... Uh, I think of the Lord's prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Hallowed, like, Lord, we, we want your name to be exalted on earth. We want it to be admired. We want, we want the name of the Lord to, to carry the full weight here in Camus as it does in heaven. We want it to be loved and admired. Um, we want your will to be done here on earth like it is in heaven. And, and, and when, when that happens, when, when God's saving and redeeming reign uh, of his kingdom happens, like we're seeing his kingdom come here on earth. The, the third is that the kingdom, and Gary's talked about this a lot, that the kingdom is, is, is both present and future, the here, here but not yet. Um, it will be fully consummated. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom. So the, the kingdom is of righteousness and of peace and of joy, and it's by the Holy Spirit, right? It's, it's, it's by the Holy Spirit moving and working. Uh, Jesus makes this connection for us, Matthew 12, 28, um, the, the spirit and kingdom. He says, if it is by the spirit that I cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. So it's the spirit moving to triumph over evil. Um, the spirit moving to, to bring life in, in your family, in your marriage, in your workplace, and relationships in your neighborhood. Um, so then the, the righteousness, peace, and joy. So Paul has a couple different ways that he uses this, um, and, and I think it's important for us to understand them. So one way is um, Christ, he, he justifies us, right? And, and his righteousness is imputed to us, right? And imputed might be, a, it is a weird word. We don't use it much. So think of like the broke college kid 
right? Who just keeps overdrafting and, and realizes at some point, calls up mom and dad and says, hey, so books were more expensive than I thought. I ordered too many pizzas, whatever. Can you help? And they're like, okay, sure. And, and they, they, they transfer funds into his account, right? So Christ, his, his righteousness has been transferred. It's been imputed to our account. We have peace with God by the blood of Jesus and, and, and the joy that, that flows from that. And it, this reminds me of, or this, this sounds like uh, Romans 5, 1 through 2. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So, so that's one way that he uses like righteousness, peace, and joy. The second is uh, a description of, of what the Holy Spirit is doing in you, that enabling you to do righteous works, right? So the, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. He makes us more and more like Jesus, right? And, and because of that, then we, we, we do righteous things, right living. We do right things. Um, he, he makes right, righteous works happen in our lives and, 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 and we, things like peace and forgiveness and reconciliation happen. Uh, there, there's grace that's extended. Um, so even though uh, we might see non-gospel issues way differently in the same church, like we can live at peace together, there, there's unity. And I think the context indicates the, the second one, that, that um, man, the righteousness that we do, the peace that we show, the joy, it's all due to the work of the Holy Spirit, when we see those things, the, the kingdom of God is present. <sighs> so this righteousness and this peace and joy, when it's present, there's evidence of the kingdom being present. It's not just this, this list like that you, you can't eat this, you can't drink it, but kingdom living governs the eating and drinking and everything else, right? It, 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 it has to do with with, with this righteousness, this, this, this peaceable, living, joyful handling of what we eat and drink or fill in the blank. Um, so it's, it's happening in here, right, because of the Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit is, is, is working us. It's something way, way bigger than eating and drinking, although that can fall into it along with everything else. So verse 18 says, Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So when we live out, verse 17, this kingdom living, this kingdom mindset, righteous works, we're living at peace, joy is coming from that. When, when we live out verse 17, it doesn't say it's as if we're serving Christ. He says we serve Jesus in that way. When, when, when I ask, when I consider, man, what does my brother or sister in Christ need in order to grow in Jesus, right? When I seek the Holy Spirit, when I'm praying, like, Lord, ah, would you do this in, in my brother's life? Would you do that? Like, would you bring about this in them? Lord, how do you want me to be a part of, of my brother or sister growing? When, when we do that, we serve Christ, and it pleases God. It says that whoever does that is acceptable to God, and God is happy by that. Other Christians see it and they recognize how good it is because they realize, oh man, that's kingdom stuff. I knew that person. I knew where they were. Actually, I could say a little bit, and Taylor, I don't mean to freak you out, but I, I look back at Taylor's life. I've known her since she was a middle schooler. And I'm like, man, that is kingdom stuff happening in her life. 
Like I get to see like the good stuff. When we, when we see that, when we do that, other believers can recognize it. Man, it's encouraging. It's so encouraging. So, so kingdom living serves Christ. But man, there's, maybe there's more than two ways, but there's two ways I thought of that we serve Christ incorrectly. And I think they're really, really easy to fall into. Um, so sometimes we look like we're, we're serving Christ. We look like we're serving our brother or sister. We may, may even think, like, man, I'm serving. Um, but we're, all, we're on autopilot, right? Like you're just going through the motions. And part of it might be you've just been walking with Jesus for so long that this thing, this righteous work that you used to like truly have to seek the Spirit to enable you, to empower you to do, that's not hard anymore because it's been five years, 10 years, 20 years. And like, honestly, more than like it being a spirit's work in you at this point, it's kind of just become a habit that you do good things. You're a good person. I say you, I'm talking me, right? Man, it is so easy for me to like people. You know, it's so easy for me to be kind to people, but man, God had to work that. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are people that are hard for me, but, um, but man, like, like I just, it's so simple for me to be going through my day and, you know, if I value it, yeah, that was a good day. Like a lot of good things happened. And I realized like, was any of that done by the spirit? Did I once ask God to help me and strengthen me to do that? So, so one way that we serve Christ incorrectly is we do it by our own power because we, we're just used to it. We can do it. May, maybe you could even do this good thing before you became a Christian. But man, we just, we put it on autopilot. That's, that's not kingdom living. The second is, and this one might seem weird to you, but I've experienced it. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming other people have too. Well, actually, it's in the Bible too, so I know. <laughs> um, we serve Jesus because we think he needs us. Right? Acts 17.25 says, God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. So if you serve Christ with the mindset that he needs me, he needs you, um, you dishonor Christ. Right? He didn't come into the world for you to be the needed one. <laughs> you don't know that. He came to the world because he's the needed one. All, all, all the service that honors Christ, all the kingdom service makes Christ the giver. Right? Like Christ is the one doing it. Do you want your service of Christ to be a demonstration of his kingdom, of his power, or of you and your goodness? It needs to be done by the Holy Spirit. I guarantee that God didn't have a, an iPhone app counting down the days till I graduated Bible college because then Greg Goostree would be in full-time ministry and really doing good work. No, man. I, I, there was a really specific moment really early at my last church. I'm walking around. I realized God did a lot of good work here through people before me. He's going to do a lot of good work here when I'm gone. And, man, that's... It's true for all of us. We're replaceable. God's the one doing it, right? Like God, if we're living kingdom mindset, like God is the one that, that is working. First um, Peter 4.11 says, Whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Every moment of our service is Christ sustained, Christ powered. Verse 19 of chapter 14 says, So then, 
let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding, right? Like we need to be people that are so intentional, that, that are pursuing peace among one another. Because, man, when, when we do that, when we build each other up, not only do we empower one another through the Spirit, but we're a testimony to the world too, right? We're a testimony that, man, God's goodness is there, and I don't have that in my life. I need I need that. Hebrews uh, 13, verses 20 and 21, I think this is on the screen, or will be. It says, May the God of peace equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. I'm going to read one more passage. I'm going to have the, the band come on up. Um, this is from the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Um, Man, if you just read this passage over and over again every day, we would do well. Um, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from my love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And it goes on. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we want to be kingdom people. Um, God, I, I titled that sermon, Don't Stumble, and I, and I missed the boat there with that title. Lord, it should have been something about living for the kingdom, living lives that, that are seeking the good of our brothers and sisters, living lives that, 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 that are described as, as being righteous and full of peace and joy. God, would you, would you take us, Lord, this church, God, these families, these individuals, would you make us more and more like your son, Jesus? God, could we care deeply about how our lives actually impact each other? Lord, can we be a people that, man, we're so ready to give up this liberty or that liberty so that our brother or sister can grow in you, God? You are so good, Lord. You poured out so much grace on us. God, it's overwhelming. We thank you for that. Amen.